I am most amazed about God <clears throat> when I see children uh, born. There isn't another time where you, as you watch and you see these newborns, you go, there has to be a God. There just has to be. How could this wonderful miracle come forth if God hadn't set it into place, laid his hands upon this little boy or girl? I had the privilege this week of meeting a little girl. Uh, her name is Jessica Inez Rogers. She's three weeks old, born to my dear friends uh, just a couple weeks ago. And uh, we were part of a wedding celebration together, and finally I got to meet her. And what a delight. And what a beautiful little girl. And got to hold her, and, you know, I have three boys, so I'm just like, oh, Lord. <laughs> just one of these, you know. And it was just, uh, just a treat. And as you think about that, as you think about the love for our children, as you think about the amazement of how God brings forth life, as we read this passage today, I want you to envision the Egyptians and what's going on in the city. I want you to envision what God is doing in the midst of these people and of his people Israel. And we can't face this passage without thinking of these little ones. And going, what is God doing? How is he working? What's his point? How is God just? And what is he going to do now in the midst? So Exodus 12, we are at as the Lord has been preparing the people to leave Egypt. And Jackson talked about our identity in Christ last week. That God is developing a people with an identity in him alone that he would hold on to them, that we would know that he is our God, and that the world would know who the true God is. Verse 29 of chapter 12 of Exodus. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn. All those who were in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner, who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. And Pharaoh and all of his officials and the Egyptians got up during the night and there was a loud wailing throughout the land of Egypt. For there was not a house without someone dead. And during the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up! Leave my people, you Israelites. Go! Worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and go, and bless me. And the Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise, they said, we all will die. God's judgment came down in full force, and it hit to the core. And as readers, and as we testify and, and, and read this and live out this history, it pounds at the listener. It pounds at you and me. Reminds me of these missiles going back and forth between Hezbollah and Israel, pounding one another left and right. And every day, innocent life being taken. And every day we're seeing in the paper those who are mourning and crying out 
because their loved ones have died. And there is great wailing in the land, the scriptures teach us, reminiscent of when Pharaoh had ordered all of the Israelite sons to be killed. Moses was spared, now to be the deliverer. And Pharaoh has been hardened towards God. He considers himself to be God. He considers himself to be the one in control of all of the world and of life. His heir, who would be the next God, has been taken as well. He will not give in. He continues to fight against God, and then comes the last strike, and it's too much. And God is stripping away everything that Pharaoh and the Egyptians have held on to for life and for sustenance, for real living. They thought this was our hope. And God, as we have been going through the plagues and as he has been striking hard to strip away, he's reminding us, I think, what do I need to strip away from us, you and me? that you will see who I am. What do I need to take away so that you understand that I am your God and you are my people, that I will keep my covenant? And God is revealing himself to be life. God is revealing himself to be the Redeemer as this last strike comes in the little children. And now we see mighty Pharaoh submit. We see mighty Pharaoh finally give in. And he uses four commands to Moses and Aaron. Four commands related to the foremost things that he didn't want to give in to. He resisted for a long time. He says, arise. He says, go out. Go and serve. He had done everything to keep them there, to keep them from worshiping God. And their words of release, words of departure, words of permission, complete surrender. Sometimes God needs to break us to a point of complete surrender. We still want to control our lives. We still want to say we have it under control and it is not in our control. And I know you and I do that many times through our lives. Again, with all of our talents and gifts, and we think, I'm doing okay. And God is saying, have you surrendered completely to me? And that's what he's doing in the midst of Egypt and showing the Israelites and the Egyptians. And so as Pharaoh has given up, Paul reminds us, every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And as we have seen, God has led his people into this Passover meal, the perfect lamb, the blood covering the people as the angel passed over, painted on the doorpost. And as a reminder that the Passover time is a foreshadowing of the innocent lamb, Jesus Christ a foreshadowing of the one whose blood it would be spilt for you and for me.
to cover our sin. That God's judgment passes over you and I as we have received Christ because all he sees is the blood of Jesus and Jesus in us. And as we have received him, we are renewed and we are washed white as snow. And all God sees is this beautiful image of his son in us. The substitution that was paid. John Stott, who's a wonderful theologian, says, The concept of substitution lies at the heart of both sin and salvation. For the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. That's what Pharaoh did. That's what you and I do often. While the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. And what God's longing is, is that he desires to move us from Pharaoh, all of these things that we worship, into freedom, into the promised land. And every day he's working on that with us. I want to deliver you from here over to life in me. Will you follow? Will you choose to have freedom and life in me? How do we have freedom? How do we have freedom in this life? What does it look like for us? And the first thing we have to do is we have to choose. God always gives you and I the choice to choose him or to choose you as your own God. I choose me. I will serve myself. And he doesn't force you to serve him. He wants you to come and follow and trust and understand that his blood has spilt, that he's the innocent lamb, that you are acceptable because of Jesus Christ to God. But the other thing you can't miss in all of this passage is going on as the plagues are coming is you see God's deliverance, his grace. But you also see judgment. And we don't like to talk about judgment very much. It's hard that God is going to come and he will judge each and every one of us. It doesn't seem fair to us sometimes. It seems harsh, Lord. Why would only those who believe in you have life? These are great people, my friends over here. Shouldn't they be with you also? And God's judgment will come down. And there will be a divide. Holy God, sinful people, without the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, we will not be able to have a relationship with God Almighty, Yahweh. Why do we pray for our dear friends who are good people? Because according to God, there is only one way, and that's the blood And God says there will be judgment. I will separate out those who chose to follow me and those who chose not to. And I will honor their choice. Each and every one of us has this choice. And many times we're looking again for other ways of salvation. We're looking for life through other things and we we want hope in other things. And, And we want to be sustained by other measures. You know what the latest craze is right now? And actually, it was one of the number one Christmas presents last year. There's a company that has now begun to sell, as you, as you have your babies, and grandparents are the ones who are buying this, but they're buying the umbilical cords. 
and they want to keep the blood from the umbilical cord so that they can have the stem cells. And they're freezing them, and they're paying thousands of dollars. And the owner of Smart Cells International, which has become this huge company, says, listen, these master sales are the key to future living. It's a long-lasting insurance policy so that they might have life. You know, there's medical research that it can help certain diseases. And there may be some validity to that. I don't know. But people are buying this up one after the other. Here we have this insurance policy, this blood from your child, so that we might take the master sales so that you might live longer. They might live longer if they need to. And all the hope is going into that. It's going into the blood of this human form. And Christ says, there's only one blood that has been spilt, and it is my son, Jesus. And that's the only hope we have. And we keep trying to look for longer life and, and hope in different things. Say, so thank God, you know, my body's a wreck. You are the great physician, heal me. There's a choice. The Redeemer has called and reached out and given man a choice and offered grace and has given Moses as Redeemer, as a reflection of Jesus Christ, our real Redeemer, the one who has bought us with a price and wants to give us, again, life. I was just part of this beautiful wedding this weekend. Kevin Altry and Darcy Harris, now Darcy Altry. And there's something, many of you have been to weddings and been married yourself. And it's such a beautiful image of God's love for us. And the thing is, is that Kevin and Darcy chose one another. They chose to be married. Kevin did not show up on Friday dragging Darcy down the aisle, putting her there and saying, you shall marry me. No, he chose to marry her and she chose to walk down the aisle with Randy and Kevin's hand was out. And that's the image of God. Remember the bride, the bridegroom. My hand is out. I'm waiting for you, bride, to receive me. And she received him. And Kevin wept. Tears of joy, I hope. <laughs> and it was a beautiful union. But don't you understand? That's what God says of us. I am the bride, you are the bridegroom. He loves that relationship. Are we trusting in the blood of the Lamb? Are we taking His hand? Will we receive Him that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and you are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess and you are saved. And as Scripture says, anyone who trusts in him, you shall not be ashamed. Because when God comes in judgment, we will stand in the glory of God, fully redeemed, 
fully enjoying the Lord. If you've never taken his hand, it's there today. Take it and receive life. You know, many of us, I know, in this room have. And so what do we do once we've received his hand? How do we live life? How do we experience freedom in him? We receive him and there is freedom. We have a new being. We are a new creation in Christ. And there is freedom. We're no longer enslaved to sin. And now he says, I want you to follow me. A life of obedience. See, he pays the price for us. He longs for relationship. He longs for us to again have freedom. And one of the things that we're going to see, which is so beautiful about the Israelites, is that they start to take these steps towards obedience in God. And so the people, verse 34, took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulder in kneading troughs and wrapped it uh, wrapped in clothing. And the Israelites did as Moses had asked the Egyptians for the... Whoops, did I skip? Da, 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 da. They did uh, as instructed and, and asked the Egyptians for the... Um, I'm sorry about this. Where am I? Are my eyes getting that bad? Wow. What happened? I'm not even 40 yet, almost. There it is. Anyway, they did it. (laughs) All right? They responded. Thank God. That's the point. Earlier on, verse 24, it said, Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. And it goes on, it says, And the people bowed down and they worshipped, and the Israelites did just as the Lord had commanded. Verse 35 at the end of our chapter, they did everything that the Lord had commanded. Verse 50, And all the Israelites did just as the Lord had commanded. And on that very day, the Lord brought the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. And as we get on into Exodus 19, the Lord again speaks forth to his people. Now if you obey me fully and if you keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. And although the whole earth is mine, you, Israelites, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Obey me. Be set apart. You are to be a reflection of me to the world. But you know what the truth is, don't you? You and I, we are disobedient. We are disobedient son of a guns. And we, we live life and I know we want to follow the Lord, but man, we will kick sometimes. Again, we just don't think that the way the Lord is doing it is quite right. And so we we do our own path. My little boy, Alex, who is three, so again, amidst three brothers, but many times the three brothers will try to play a game together. And that's quite an ordeal. (laughs) And so in the middle of it, and really the desire to have fun together, 
something will not happen right. They won't share the peace or it's the wrong turn or whatever. And so Alex, out of defense mode, basically starts hitting his brothers just to survive and screaming. He has a scream that you just can't imagine. It's his defense mechanism. And so I have to pull him aside and say, Alex. And right away, even before I say anything, he goes like this. I won't do it again. And I think that's what we do. I won't do it again, God. We know we're disobedient. We know we're kind of caught. I won't do it again, God. And then you know how it plays out, don't you? Sure enough, a couple hours later, I won't do it again. And he's just got this beautiful little face, this little cherub, you know, and it's so hard. But I need to discipline him towards godliness. I need to help him understand that this isn't good. But what you can't miss is that as a dad, here's what I know that he wants. I know he wants to enjoy his brothers. I know he wants to have fun playing this game because that brings him real joy. And actually, when they play well together, they're all laughing and cracking up, and there's no better sound in the world than that. Don't you think God knows what we need and what we actually long for? And so he's saying, will you actually obey me? One of the marks of our Christianity is obedience to the Father. That we cannot continue a lifestyle of saying, I'm going to choose to do what I want in this situation. God says, dear body, we need to forgive each other. And he really means that. And he really means it when he says, I give you my Holy Spirit to enable you to actually do that. And yet we're like, I just can't forgive that person. Well, then you're disobedient to God. Let's call it what it is. You are sinning against your father. He longs for you and you long for that restored relationship, don't you? You are torn up inside that you have not healed that. And he's saying, just go. I know it doesn't seem fair to you. You feel like they should be the one apologizing. But go and ask for forgiveness. I want you to be obedient. John teaches us that the Lord speaks forth, if you love me, if you really love Jesus, then obey, follow, keep my commands. Our mark of Christianity in our life. You will hear me out because I have good instruction for you. I have life-giving instruction for you. They are not shackles upon you. They are freedom. And I offer this to you. And the other option really is death. Disobedience. Where we live again for ourselves and ultimately for many people, they live for themselves forever. Again, they won't receive Christ. They won't actually choose to follow him. See, because there becomes a step. Many of us have said, I received Jesus. I was saved at Young Life Camp. and I've been witness to many young kids. And what a wonderful ministry. So there's that step. I receive you, but is he actually Lord of your life? That's where obedience comes. I say I follow Jesus. I say I am a Christian. 
But do I listen to anything? I mean, really, anything that he says about how to have life. You know, this year, I, uh, I signed up to be uh, head coach of my kids' uh, flag football team. And I was part of that last year, just helping a little bit. But most of these kids come in, and most of them have never played football ever. And so, as a coach, my desire is that they'll learn to play. They'll learn to have success. They will feel just good about their efforts. That they will know that this is, this is a good goal and that they'll want to win. They'll want to run for the prize. They'll want to have joy in the midst of playing. They'll want to have relationship with their teammates. And we're going to work on all those things and, and values and good things about life, not just about the game of football. But many of us are like these kids, and as I've been at many practices before, it's too hot. I'm tired of practicing. We're teaching them to hold on to the ball, you know, tight, and they'll carry it in one arm, and every time it's a fumble. Would you listen to the coach? Well, yeah, but that doesn't feel good to me. I'd rather hold it like this. And so they make up their own rules as they play. If they play, sometimes they just stand there. <laughs> and you know what? There's many times where we have the uniform, don't we? We put on our jersey of Christianity. We sure look like a Christian. Look at me on the field. But when you're running the ball, you're still holding it in this hand, with one hand doing it the way you want to do it. Obedience. We have to move in and say, God, help me to obey your truth because I know you long to give me life and success. I know you want me to have freedom. And it comes when we obey the master. Will you do that this morning? We say, Lord, teach me to hold that ball. I want to run in such a way as to win the prize, and I know that that's how you want me to run. So teach me to run. And teach me to trust you as my coach that you know the way that's best. And so we do. The Israelites were learning and living out a life of obedience, and so they were going from Pharaoh to freedom. And that's what you and I long for. We don't want to be stuck here in Egypt. We want to be marching out. We want to be full of the abundance of God in our lives, and we want to experience life in Him and Him alone. I know that's what we want. And part of the joy of living in Christ is that we receive Him, and we say, okay, Lord, now what? And then He says, okay, this is what my instruction says. And now I want you to see me even more. And you know what that is next? For you and I in this journey of Christianity, this journey of a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, it's that we do this. Okay. I'm going to take the step. A step of faith in trusting you that you are who you say you are. First step of faith 
for the Israelites. Okay, I don't totally understand this, but I'm trusting God, and we're going to put this blood on the doorpost. And what happened? The angel of death passed over. They were having life in the middle of their home. You know what? They were actually having a feast. Psalm 23, you prepare a table in the midst of my enemies. You are my shepherd. And so they trusted God and the angel of the Lord, exacting judgment, took the lives. And they saw God at work, his grace and his justice. What was the next step? You want us to go to the Egyptians and you want us to ask them for their gold? Are you kidding? those who have oppressed us for 400 years, you want us to go face to face and say, could I have your gold, please? Yes. Okay. What happens every time we take a step of faith? You and I get to see God at work. Do you understand? What did they see? They went and they said, Howard, can I have your gold? And Howard's like, you know what, you bet. Hey, here's this gold lantern. And you know what else I have? I have a beautiful gold tray. Take that, please. Why? God had been working in advance, it says. God had given them favor. So that when they asked and they took the plunder, that they would say, yes, here, take all of it. That plunder that would be used to build the tabernacle. That plunder where they took a step of faith and said, how is God going to provide for us? Are you kidding me? How is God going to meet my needs? Why don't you take a step of faith and say, okay, Lord, I don't know if this is exactly the right job, but I feel like you're calling me towards it. I know I just want to be obedient towards you. That's all you need to do. You know, we always try to figure out the will of God. The will of God is that you would be obedient to him. The will of God is that you would listen to him and say, Lord, I want to serve you and, and no matter where I'm at. You could move me out to Nashville. You could keep me here. You could take me to another church. Whatever you have, I take a step of faith and then God pours himself out and we get to see him. Don't you love it when you see God at work? Don't you love it when his provision just pours out and then all of a sudden our, <clears throat> our trust in him just pours out as we take a step of faith and God <clears throat> is revealed. I think truly we never learn to trust God if we do not take a step and say, God, here I am. And we will see more and more of Him with every step we take. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door shall be opened to you. And God receives your gift of faith. And the journey is long, but we take one step at a day, one day at a time, one step. And we keep moving closer to the Lord. Faith steps along the way. And he's moving us out of the land. He says from Ramses to Succoth, 
He moves us. And they want out. He's taking them through their land in which they were oppressed in, and they have to leave the land behind. And that probably is the hardest part for you and me. Man, we love the flesh. We love sometimes being caught up in in our stuff. And to be honest, it's pretty scary to move beyond that. It's pretty scary to say, wow, I've known this for 400 years, and now I'm moving into a whole new land. I know the Lord says promised land, and this is where real life is. But he leads us right through the land. Look at it and go, I want nothing to do with that anymore. I'm moving out. Steps of faith. Where am I going, God? We're trusting you. How are we going to eat? I'm trusting you. And the Israelites moved out. And here's what's interesting. Numbers 33 has a response to this, another rendition. It says the Israelites set out from Ramses on the 15th day, the day after Passover, and they marched out boldly in full view of all of the Egyptians who were burying all of their firstborn whom the Lord had struck down among them and whom he had brought judgment on their gods. And we march out boldly because we trust God who has our life. And we march out boldly in the strength of the Lord. And we can march and we can take steps and we're no longer in the shackles and the whip is no longer coming down. We march because we follow we, not, we don't march because we're being beaten and enslaved. We march because of a love relationship with Jesus Christ. In verse 42 of this chapter, as they marched out, it says, And that evening, the Lord kept vigil over his people. That's one of the most beautiful verses to me about this whole thing. The night watchman the one who guards at nighttime to make sure nothing will come upon you, the one who is your protector, that we know that as we go out, that we do not march alone, that we do not march in a way that's in our own strength, that we have one who protects us. Do you remember in the movie, if you saw it, The March of the Penguins? And there's a scene where the narrator speaks of the father. And as he's speaking forth, he says, It is the penguin male who will tend the couple's single egg. He is the one who keeps vigil. While the mother feeds and gathers food to bring back for the newborn, it is the father who will shield the egg from the violent winds and cold. And he will make a nest for the egg atop its own claws keeping it safe and warm beneath the flap of skin on his belly. And he will do this for more than two months. And as the winter progresses, the father will be severely tested. And by the time their vigil on top of the egg is over, the penguin father will have gone without food of any kind for 125 days. And they will have endured one of the most violent and deadly winters on all earth, for that one little chick. That's the love of our God. I will endure it for you. I will protect as the arrows come. I walk with you. I cover you. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Almighty. 
I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He will cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, for the Lord is your God. That you and I both would be led from Pharaoh to freedom as we give our life to Jesus, as we are obedient to him, as we take steps so that we might know and trust, learn to trust, and that truly we can rest under the wings of God the Father who is guarding our life along the way. This journey, we do not walk alone. And all of the Israelites worship God together. God has given us each other for this journey as well. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we thank you for life in you. Would you be our strength, our sustenance, Will we come to you alone and we thank you for your blood shed for us. We thank you for the joy of life in you and help us to take steps. Help us to be obedient, Father, when we, we, just, we struggle with that, Lord. And forgive us, Father. Forgive me for kicking against you and thinking I can do it my own, own way. Thank you for covering us with your wings, O oh Lord. In your precious name, amen.